Welcome to the Vineyard Northridge Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Dennis Kozlov. For more information about our church, visit our website at vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge. Good morning, church. I don't even know how it became a thing. I don't know, but it's a thing now. Dennis comes, he says, good morning. The church goes, good morning, Dennis. I love that. Everybody loves that. That became my trademark. I don't know how it happened. All right, guys. We're starting a new series today. Uh, We entitled it The Gospel of God, and it's going to be based on the book of Romans. Uh, And I'm looking forward to that. But before I start... I want to make a couple of preliminary notes, and I'm going to give it a disclaimer. It's not going to be an expository preaching. I'm not going to, you know what expository preaching is? When you just go through the book and you go through every chapter, verse by verse, you unpack every single uh, concept, word, phrase. It's good. It's good for studies, but we're not approaching to this book this way. We're approaching it thematically. There's a general theme there, and the general theme is this, the gospel of God. The gospel is a good news. Okay, let me give you a few preliminary notes before we start. First of all, it's a difficult read. The book of, how many of you read the book of Romans? Wonderful. Uh, But let me tell you, like when I became a Christian and I started getting acquainted with the Bible, immediately I fell in love with some of the books of the Bible. I'm sure you have those favorite ones, right? Do you? Do you guys? Okay, I don't know. Let's, let's check what's your favorite. Does it match with mine? When I just became a believer within the first year, I fell in love with the Gospel of John. How many of you love the Gospel of John? Okay. Well, that's not the majority for some reason. Uh, well, the next book that I really loved, I didn't really fully understand it, but it was so beautiful and washing over my soul, and it just resonated in me, especially the first three chapters, the, the book of Ephesians. Anyone is with me? Okay, some people, we're weird, I guess, so we're not majority. Well, anyway, the book of Romans has never been that to me. It was fun to read, but it's such a long read, and it's convoluted sometimes and complicated, and Paul is bringing so much, so it's easy to get lost in details of that book. It's very easy to misunderstand that book. You, you really need to take, put an effort to read the whole book together and understand the whole book. Uh, And there is a reason why is that, because Paul wrote this book to the church that he has never dealt with personally. He never went there. He never talked to these guys. They never met him. They never met them. They only heard of each other. An interesting thing happened to the church of Rome, and these are all preliminary notes. Don't worry. I I haven't started (laughs) unpacking the the book of Romans uh, as, as far as the gospel of God is concerned. This church was never planted by an apostle of any sort. What happened is Rome was a capital, the center, political, economic, uh, anything, anything you think of. Like today, we have Washington, D.C. is a center of political power. New York City is a center of economic life. Hollywood is the center of showbiz. Back then, it was all in one place. It was the city of Rome. And there was a significant uh, population of Jewish people, about 40,000 people. And a lot of them were running small businesses. And the wealthy ones, people with, you know, money, they've been able to travel on the regular basis back to Jerusalem for religious celebration. So a bunch of them went on the day of Pentecost. And you know what happened on the day of Pentecost? The Holy Spirit came. 
and they were shocked and so many people believed that Jesus was the Messiah promised by God and there were people from Rome they came back and before you knew it there was a church there there was a congregation so Paul writes to the church another thing that you need to know that will help you <clears throat> excuse me that will help you to understand some of the language Paul uses is that <clears throat> he's speaking to one congregation but there are two distinct groups of people there just know that here's what happened it's like just imagine I'm speaking to you you're one congregation but on the right on my right there there's Jewish believers <clears throat> on the left there are believers from Gentiles Neil being the representative <clears throat> and they don't get along very well <clears throat> there's a tension between them and it was a common situation in many churches back then <clears throat> but it was really amplified in the church of Rome and the, here's why <clears throat> there was a twist of history the church began as a primarily Jewish church then some Gentile believers were added to that but then a twist happened a new young emperor came to power his name was Claudius he was young and unexperienced and he wasn't the brightest knife in the drawer so during his reign a lot of social uprising began to happen <clears throat> and the epicenter of the social uprising was Jewish community of Rome guess what they were arguing about and fighting about and, and what was it all about someone named Christus does it sound familiar that's basically you read it in the book of <clears throat> Acts preaching the gospel some Jewish believe some Jews say no that was happening in Rome well Claudius being the brightest guy as he thought he just decided to banish them all he just kicked thousands of Jews out of Rome 40,000 people boom gone so what happened to the church church that was predominantly Jewish and then a little bit of Gentiles all of a sudden like hey where are the, all the Jewish guys they're gone so for years they were meeting as a pure Gentile church now <clears throat> then Nero came to power after Claudius was gone and believe it or not Nero being a horrible person was pretty smart politician in the beginning he realized well getting rid of Jews is not good for business he brought them all back all of a sudden years later all those believing Jews boom showed up again and now there are two groups of people there I'm sorry for taking so much time but it will help you to understand the book it will under it will help you to understand why Paul constantly you actually it will help you read start reading and studying this book on yourself and you will see every once in a while you will see passages and you would almost feel Paul now is talking to this side of the congregation he's talking to Jews he's talking about things that Jews know and then he runs to this side and he starts talking about you know things that Gentiles know Gentile and then he would tell Gentiles about Jews and the role of Israel you understand that but this that's a format of a book that's important to know to understand the book but the main theme is not that the main theme is the gospel of God and let me start by diving into the text together with you and by the way let me tell you one more thing as an as a as a preliminary note if you decide to take an effort to get into this book you'll get so much your life will be revolutionized and it's not an empty promise it has been happening throughout the history Saint Augustine a prominent church father was led to conversion by hearing a child reading a passage from the book of Romans Martin Luther who changed the face of all of Europe and all of the Western world one of the reformers he was 
tormented in his soul. He was so distraught by, by his doubts and anxieties that he had about his relationship with the Lord. But he was a professor in the Wittenberg College, not here in Springfield, back it was back before America was founded, you know, it was in Germany and he decided to start a series of lectures dedicated to the book of Romans. And as he decided to dive into this material, the light came to him. And he called it the most brilliant light and it set him free. It established him in the understanding and realization that God loves him unconditionally. He has given His grace in, in the person of Jesus Christ. He began to understand grace and law and how they're not mixed together. He began to stand against the religion for the gospel. He began to understand the justification by faith. There was a poor Chinese preacher that nobody knew about back in the 30s, last century. And he went to Europe and he gave a series of lectures based on the book of Romans. His name was Watchman Nee. Have you heard of him? So those lectures on the book of Romans, the series of messages were transcribed and edited and published as a book that became to be known as Normal Christian Life. Any, any of you read the book? <clears throat> That's, that immediately became Christian classic. Immediately became Christian classic. Several years ago, I, I gathered a group of people, talking about small groups, to study, to study the Bible. And we took that book as a basis of our study. So that's the book, basically, Watchman Nee's commentaries on the book of Romans. And those Christians were all seasoned Christians, many years of Christian walk. All of them have reached the point of they were not satisfied. Listen, within a matter of a few weeks, all of a sudden, the revival began to happen in their souls on the personal level. To such an extent that one lady decided that she wants to be baptized again. One lady <clears throat> was receiving so much, she was calling her son, who lived in California, every single night after the small group, and she would just share what she got. And the son began to experience revival over the phone. And at the end of it, he, <clears throat> and he was backslidden Christian. He decided to rededicate his life to the Lord. He found the church out there in California. He got baptized, and he's walking with the Lord as a result of that. So please take it seriously. Try to get it. Yes, it's difficult to understand sometimes, but it's totally worth it. It's very rewarding because the gospel of God is presented in that book. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> I'm having my morning allergy. I apologize. Okay, let's start reading the book. And I'm going to skip some verses because, again, I'm not doing expository preaching. I'm going to take the theme of the gospel out of that, extract it, and give it to you for you to dive in into appropriate for yourself. Okay, Romans 1.1. 1, 1. And first, again, I remind you, Paul is writing to the church that he has never met. So now he's introducing himself. And right after that, he begins to introduce his message, the gospel. <clears throat> Here's what he writes about himself. He says, in Romans 1.1, Paul, he says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle. Listen to this. Set apart for the gospel of God. Set apart for the gospel of God. Paul planted probably hundreds of churches. He spoke on thousands of topics. But he never considered him. He said, I, I, I gave you the whole counsel of God. But when he summarizes his ministry, he said, I am set apart for the gospel of God. 
Listen, guys, let me, let me read it a li- little more. So Romans 1, 4, 1, 3 through 4, he says this gospel is concerning his son, God's son, Jesus, who was descended from David according to the flesh. Those, uh, those Jewish believers go, yay. According to the flesh. And was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord. And those Gentiles go, yay. That's the gospel. Paul said, you know, I I am about the gospel. My name is Paul. If you want to understand me, I'm set apart for the gospel. I'm all about the gospel. That's all I want to speak about. Romans 1, 15. He's writing to a group of believers that has been in existence for years. He's writing to a church. And he says this. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. What's going on, Paul? Those are already Christians. Why do they need to hear the gospel? If you think this way, you're so wrong. My goodness. We've been taught that the gospel is is an entry point, some elementary thing that unbelievers need to hear. It's just a little door to get into and then we graduate from that and we go somewhere else. Not according to Paul. We need the gospel. Guys, that was my personal biggest revelation of 2011. I was always puzzled, like, what shall I preach about? Like Neil. And now I don't, I don't wonder anymore. I am to preach the gospel. It doesn't matter what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about money. Yes, I'll talk about money, but it will be in the light of the gospel. You want to talk about how to raise your kids? Yes, we'll talk about how to raise your kids, but it'll be in the light of the gospel. The gospel is what we need. We need to be established. Paul said, I want to come and interact with you personally because I want you to be established. We're not established. Paul prayed for people in Ephesus. He said, every wind of teaching blows you left and right and you are not stable. That's why you're not growing steadily because you're not rooted in the gospel. There's an anchor. You need an anchor that gets you right into God. And nothing can pull you out of God. You can't be drifted away from God because you're anchored in Him. And this anchor is the gospel. (laughs) Oh my goodness. So good. I don't know. I'm preaching myself happy. I don't care about you. No, I do care about you. I do care about you. So we should never graduate from the gospel. Romans 1, 16, 17. And he kind of exclaims and declares and he announces the topic of this book, of the whole book of Romans. He says... Romans 1, 16, 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Listen to this. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first. To you guys. Yay. That's part of the congregation. But also to the Greek. Neil, you're Greek now. Yay. Neil goes, yay, I'm Greek. I'm, I can't be saved. There's a power unto salvation. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. All of this is going to be developed in the next chapters. Righteousness of God, so important. Such an important concept. 
It's not just general righteousness of God. We know God is righteous. Anything he does is righteous. No, he's not talking about that. He's talking about righteousness revealed, manifested, made published, made clearly known and observable in the, in the story of the gospel. God has established something that can never be shaken. That has to do with you and with your forgiveness and with your justification. And it's a righteous thing in the sight of God. It would be unrighteous not to forgive you because of Jesus died on the cross for you. But we will develop it later. So he says, I'm, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God. And then he, he, he gives a succinct summary. He said, as it is written, Jewish people say, we know where it's written. The righteous shall live by faith. The gospel is a power to save you. And it is a promise to give you life, true life. If you don't have a gospel, I'm sorry to say, you live an illusory existence that you think is life, but it's not because it lacks the essence of life within you. God gives his life freely as a gift by faith because of what Jesus has done. That's what why Paul is not ashamed he's bold he's all about the gospel and I want us guys to be to become like Paul I want us to become like so all right every time we talk about salvation the question arises naturally power to be saved from what what are you saving me from well I would even extend it and I would tell you like every time you read the book of the New Testament have two questions in mind saved from what and saved to what don't just stop saved from what because actually Luther uh, created an half-baked half-baked bread because he saw the justification by faith he realized what we are saved from and he go yay and he forgot the, about the rest of the book but there's so much more there's so much more there yes <clears throat> in the beginning of the book it talks about what are we saved from bunch of negative stuff but later he develops and shows what are we saved into and it's way more it's so much more amazing but today i had to make a choice whether i would set up neil or i will become a bad cop you know we sometimes play bad cop good cop game and you know <clears throat> so paul begins to talk immediately about what are we saved from and he calls it the wrath of god don't cringe yet the wrath of God and we really need to get into this concept because there's so much misunderstanding about the wrath of God because if you don't have a revelation of who God is that he is love if you don't have a revelation that God loves you you're gonna think that he well let me get into my notes I, I, I don't want to preach ahead of myself so we think of the word wrath Oh, let me read the verse verse it, he begins immediately so he says I'm not ashamed of the gospel because the righteousness of God is revealed in it and he uses the same word revealed but now he's talking about for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth Paul I thought you're talking about the gospel Paul you were going to tell us good news. Paul, do you know that the gospel is translated as good news? Do you realize that, Paul? Why are you bringing like a 
tons of bricks this this wrath of God thing Paul because that's part of the gospel guys I'm sorry <laughs> I need to be faithful to the text of the Bible to the book of Romans and he says for the wrath of God that's how he begins the gospel the good news begins with the bad news the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth so the first thing Paul talks about that we is a thing that we are saved from by the gospel is the wrath of God we think of the word wrath as, a, as extreme anger right have you seen wrathful or angry person like a road ra rage, how do you call it? Road rage, yeah, that, that's ugly, right? So a dictionary definition of a word anger. Strong feeling of annoyance, displeasure, or hostility at someone or at something. Do you know that it's very important whether it's at something or at someone? If I'm that someone, that's a whole different story. So here's the thing. It's a, it doesn't say God gets angry at you. He's annoyed by you. He says clearly God's anger. It's not even, it doesn't even say God is mad at you. It says God's anger is revealed, manifested against not you, but against all unrighteousness and all ungodliness. And it's super important to understand. It is super important to understand. You see, love is a nature of God. I'm not talking moody God. God is not moody. His mood doesn't swing. His attitude, his disposition to you is not going to swing. But love can be angry. If I have a child, let's say a teenager, let's say a young teenager, 10, 12 years maybe, a boy who wants to be cool and some other boys tell him that there's a place out there and if you want to be cool you're going to go there and hang out with some cool guys and you as a father you know what's going on there all this shady business and your son disobeys and he goes there anyway and you learn about it and you're just running there and by the time you get there he's already talking to a man who you know is a drug dealer and a pedophile Hey, listen, I don't know about you. I'm not going to be cool. I'm not going to be chill. I'm going to be very mad. I'm going to be very angry. And I'm going to be do, I will do some harm. I'm a small boy, but guns are legal in America, you know. So, and I'll probably grab my son and he will experience some of shaking and raised voice and a lot. Why? Is it because I hate my son? I love him dearly. I fight for him. I protect him. This indignation, and you know, you understand it's just an imagery used, you know, ascribed to God. He's not a human being. He's not overwhelmed and overcome by his intense feelings. He's God. He loves us. But what anger is, what the anger of God is, it's an experiential reality in our life. You and I, I know you're all Christians, most of you are, you can live in ex experiencing God's anger, God's wrath. Not because He's angry at you, but because you're doing something that goes against the grain of the creation. I moved to America and in 2014. And in three years, I developed depression. It took me about half year or maybe a year to realize and to acknowledge that, that I developed a depression. 
And it was serious. I mean, I was, it was bad. Like I had a hard time waking up in the morning. I had a hard time doing anything. I felt like I have no strength for anything. And I, I, I am a, I try to be a scholar of everything. I try to study everything that I face, I encounter. So that was a new thing I wanted to study. I went, and, uh, I went to the library and found some books on psychology and I began to read about depression. And I'm, I, I thank God I found that book. It was a book written by a non-believer or maybe she's a believer but she was hiding it so well so I didn't know she's a believer. Anyway, I started reading that book on depression and in the very introductory part I read this. Your depression is a messenger that announces to you that you do not live right. What? You know, it hit me. It pierced me. It cut my heart open. And I needed to hear that because not a single pastor would dare to say me such a thing. I'm not... Do you, do you understand? That's what the gospel is doing. The gospel is telling you the truth about you and about me. Not because it hates you, not because God hates you, but because God wants you well. God doesn't want you to experience the wrath of God. And you can, you can live and experience the wrath of God because you would live in a dysfunctional way that would get you going against the grain of creation. Because the creation has a footprint, oh not footprint, sorry, a fingerprint. Like the, 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 the God's design is built in inherently in every single thing you experience in this creation, including yourself. I hope I'm not too complicated. Okay, so the word, the word, uh, the word wrath which is Greek word orge, is, is an interesting word. It, it can be translated as temper, temperament, disposition, nature, heart, passion, anger. It's translated as wrath. It actually come, you know, I, I, may, I may make some of you blush, but English words like orgasm or orgy come from the same word. It's something ah, intense, you know? So, well, anyway, let me reiterate it. God's wrath is a biblical concept. Don't try to get rid of it. It's important to, to, to be faithful to that. But if you read it carefully in the light of the Gospel of Paul, it's never against people, but it's always against their unrighteousness and ungodliness. Because they, these things, well, listen, listen, listen carefully now. Unrighteousness and ungodliness, it's not some weird abstract biblical terms. They determine what kind of life you are going to live today. They're very relevant. Because there are seeds of hell. I call them seeds of hell within you. And they will sprout if they're not addressed. And you will live in hell if you let them sprout and bear fruit. And you will make life of your people that you interact with, your family, your friends, hell too. That's one of the main points today, guys. We need to be saved from ungodliness and unrighteousness in this life. We're so indoctrinated in the West that every time we hear the word salvation, we think, oh, it's a salvation for, and it's like in some future from something called the lake of fire or the hell. No, I'm talking about being saved from hell now. Do you understand that the veneer of civility is very thin 
hey, listen, 2019, a thing began called COVID. Remember? It was a thing. What was gone from the stores? Toilet paper. Until today, it's a mystery to me. I have no clue why. I just, I don't know. Some people have explanations. Maybe come to me in the, uh, after the service, explain it to me. I don't know. I don't know. But another thing you should know what disappeared from the shelves was ammo. It was impossible to buy. Because people know, you know, that the veneer of civility is very thin. Any serious crisis will break it easily. And all those seeds of hell will begin to sprout in people. That's why you buy bullets to fight. Because you know the evil is going to come. And it's going to come from the same person who tells you, excuse me, and please, and go ahead and Kroger today. Because we should never confuse this civility, which is nice, which is good, for real, actual goodness. I hope I'm not speaking too complicated today. Okay. The veneer of civility is very thin. A siege of Leningrad. I, I, I was born and grew up in the city of St. Petersburg. And before that, it was called the city of Leningrad. And when Germans came in World War II, they put it under siege for three years. And Leningrad back then was one of the cultural, cultural, like it was a cultural capital of Russia, of the Soviet Union. A lot of educated people, sophisticated people. But when the siege began, when the hunger came, the morals deteriorated very quickly. And by the second year, there were cannibalism, there were horrible atrocities done. 21st century Europe, 24th of February, Russia invaded Ukraine, and I began to watch so many atrocities. It, 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 it just tears my heart apart for both, for both people. And I've seen atrocities done by both sides. Because the seeds of hell were carried in people's hearts. And when the conditions were right for them, they sprouted. We can talk about just war and just war. But I'm talking about people who are right in the middle, in the thick of that. We need to be safe from that. And <clears throat> I want you to continue to read with me. Paul is being a genius. What's the English word? Diagnostician, is that such a word? Diagnostician. You know, there are people who are good doctors, but there might not be good diagnosticians. My mom, years ago, she developed a heart condition, and all kinds of doctors looked at her. And they all came up with the different ideas. Nothing helped. Things got worse and worse and worse. And they introduced these pills and that medicine and these pills. Even doctors from France came to visit this hospital when she was in. And they came up with it. Nothing worked. Until one day, her friend told her, hey, listen. There is a young fella, young doctor. He is 20-some years old. That's not serious, right? 20-some. But he, he, he acquired this reputation of a genius uh, What's the word I used? Diagnostician. People from all over the Russia, they, all over the country, they want to see him. But he's my friend, so I can arrange for you to, to be seen by him. And we said, okay. So I took my mom. We waited in the waiting room. She came into the uh, place. She spent her 10 minutes. She left out. She got a recipe. And it was like pennies. Some cheap, cheap medicine. 
She took the medicine. She started taking it. All symptoms were gone. That's what good diagnostician and Paul is a genius diagnostician. He tells us why we experience the wrath of God in our life. And let's dig into that. And Paul begins to explain this process that takes place in humanity in general and in you and me in personal. Romans 1.21, for although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Do you hear that? You know, some of you might be new to church culture and you come and you say, these guys sing too long. I mean, speech makes sense. So the guy comes to the stage, he speaks something. Sometimes it makes sense, sometimes it doesn't. At least there's a point to that. I get some information. What about the singing? Ah, ah, ah. Listen, you have no clue how, it, how good it is for you. Worshiping God washes your soul from all the seeds of hell. You need to worship God on the regular basis. And Paul being this diagnostician, he actually aims at that. Let's go on reading. Romans 1.23, he continues. He says, they exchanged the glory of a mortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Verse 24, therefore God gave them up in their lusts of their hearts to impurity, to dishonoring of their bodies, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, they exchanged and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. You see what's happening? People experience begin to experience the wrath of God because of their idolatry idolatry again it's not a fancy biblical word that has nothing to do with you it has everything to do with you idolatry is misplaced worship and misplaced worship is the main source of hell in your life do you hear me because it's not that people refuse to worship God and they just don't worship. You cannot not worship. You're created to worship. You're a vessel of worship. You're a habitat. You, you are a, an abode, a place for something to come and fill you. And that's the act of worship. You're, you're created to worship God. You're a worshiper. That's your definition of who you are. So if you don't worship true God, you will be worshiping something else and if you worship uh, and as you worship something else you'll be going against the very grain of creation around you and within you oh, okay neil tell me dennis don't whisper i'm not whispering so so once again i'll say god's wrath is not attitude towards you but an experiential reality very negative reality that comes from misplaced worship idolatry that's what it's caused And <laughs> so, Dennis, are you going to give us any good news? Of course I will. But maybe not all of it today. Maybe not all of it right now. But it's, it's very important to understand that 
it's we need to agree with God on certain things. We need to be saved from God's condemnation. And God condemns idolatry, ungodliness, and unrighteousness. Not because he just decides so, but because it's a contradiction to everything in the universe. And he loves you so much. In the, in the next chapter, maybe next, uh, next week, Neil will touch it. He says, don't you understand that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? So you experience the wrath of God. And actually in Greek, there are two words uh, denoting the wrath of God. One is a simmering wrath, kind of, and another one is like boiling over. It's like, you know, you're, you're boiling a milk. You're trying to heat the milk on the stove. So just a second, it boils over, but it simmers there. If you're doing it right, it's hot and it's going on. So a lot of people live in the simmering wrath of God in many areas of their life. And God wants them to be saved. And to be saved is to receive the gospel. And the gospel begins with a condemnation of the way people live in disconnection with God. Every single letter Paul writes, he has these two dimensions. He has a vertical one and he has a horizontal one. And we're mainly concerned with horizontal one, how we deal with people, how we build our relationship, are we successful or not. But God said, it's all going to be broken if you don't take care of the vertical one. And the vertical one begins when you realize, oh, I suck at that. That's basically what he's asking you to do. He's asking you to acknowledge that you really suck at being good with God. That's why you need a Savior. That's why you need somebody to intervene. You know, you're like that alcoholic that in order to get on the track of recovery, the first step that alcoholic needs to make is what? To admit it. Because most alcoholics, first thing they tell you like is, oh, I can't do without it. So guys, I want us to, to be fully aware of God's condemnation of independent living. Of living, worshiping not Him as a creator, but something else or someone else. Your success, your career, whatever you're trying to, to focus on in your life. If it's not brought into the light of God as the creator, as the source of life, it's going to be a mess. And those seeds of hell are going to sprout. And they're going to bear fruit. And that fruit is going to be very bitter. God wants us to be saved from that. And that's the story of the gospel that we will unfold. You will know in this series what are we saved from and what are we saved into. And the very first thing that we need to know that we are saved from is that from the wrath of God. And I don't know whether we have this verse. I... I, I came up with this very late and maybe we didn't have it uh, didn't get it to our media people but I'm going to read it to you in chapter 8 Paul picks up this topic of wrath of God again and he says Christ died for us chapter 5 excuse me if you're taking notes chapter 5 verse second half of verse 8 and verse 9 Christ died for us since therefore we have now been justified by his blood much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. God saves us and restores our ability to be true worshipers of him so that not the wrath of God flows through us, but the kindness of God flows through us, but the grace of God flows through us. 
It's up to us today whether we're going to live in the wrath of God or in the kindness of God. God still loves you whether you live in wrath or in kindness. He's not going to change that. He's not changeable. But it's up to you and the gospel gives you this freedom of choice to live in his kindness or to live in his anger, in his wrath that is built into this reality. I would like to invite you to get together with us into this series. And Neil, why don't you come and wrap it up together with me? So that was message number one, an introduction to the gospel of God in the book of Romans. Thank you, guys. Amen. That's right. Good word, brother. Yeah, we have a resident expert on this. And uh, Dennis, I just thank you so much for what you've shared. Um, as we were worshiping... Um, Leslie got a word that, uh, I think she's gone already, but uh, she got a word that there's somebody that was having pain in their, in their jaw. She specifically pointed to the yeah. side of her face right. and her the jaw. The right side. And uh, Vika Kozlov and uh, Rachel Meiser came forward, and they were both healed. So, praise God. Yeah. Uh, Vika, Vika, my daughter, she was with her mom in the sound booth over there, but for two days she couldn't eat. She, she was crying every time she tried to eat because there was an infection in her gum right there where Leslie pointed. Mm -hmm. And like today, Neil prayed twice for her and she said, oh, it feels better now. It feels better. Praise so, God. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so I, I think that... that um, in response to, I mean, anytime God gives us a word like he gave us this morning from Dennis, um, just talking about the gospel of God, the, the good news, um, I, I think that, that there should be an opportunity to respond to that. And I do want to invite the, the ministry team to come on up and, and be ready to pray for folks. Um, Dennis uh, has talked about uh, the fact that we don't mix two very important cleaners uh, together, ammonia and bleach, because if you do that, you get some really toxic results. And um, here's what the Lord is saying to some folks here this morning. Um, this is not going to hit everyone, uh, and thank God for that. But, um, but if you're experiencing a lot of condemnation in your life, you feel a lot of condemnation, you feel a lot of accusation, uh, and you are already a child of God, uh, the Lord wants to reveal to you his grace and his rest and to get off the, he said, you know, just say both rat wheel and treadmill because the rat wheel is an obvious negative, um, you know, mental picture. Uh, you don't want to be in a rat wheel, just running in circles. But treadmill sounds more, you know, like healthy and, and uh, like you're really going after it in exercise. And so some of you think, well, you know, if I'm, if I'm really feeling a lot of, you know, negativity about myself, then that's a good thing. I just need to perform better. And so either you're feeling really hopeless and beat up and you want off the rat wheel because you're just exhausted from trying and trying and trying hard. Or you feel like, you know, if I just try, strive a little harder, try a little harder, work a little harder, maybe I can please God. If I just perform better, then God will be pleased with me. And you're not yet to the point of, you're on the treadmill, but you're not yet on the rat wheel. The Lord wants you off of both of those. Uh, because you'll eventually end up on the rat wheel, and then you will end up on the bottom of the cage like I did in 2012. You can't live this Christian life. You just simply can't do it. Jesus has to, to live it through you. Okay, that's, that's uh, we preached that in union with Christ this last series. So you can't live it. You have to receive his grace and say, Lord... You paid for everything. 
You paid for all my sins, and you are in me to live your life through me so I don't have to. I can't, but you can. I can't perform well enough. I can't be good enough. I can't, you know, in my own strength, in my own wisdom, I'm always going to fall short. So you just come and live your life through me. And, and uh, just realizing that you love me so much. The Lord loves you so much. If you belong to him, his love for you is relentless. His grace towards you is relentless. Grace upon grace upon grace. It's like the lapping of the, of the waves from the ocean on the shore. You get, you know, I mean, Paul said, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. You know, we don't want to sin. If we're Christians, we don't want to live in sin. We sometimes do. God's grace just follows, comes right in behind that. Grace upon grace. And yeah. so, you know, if you're struggling this morning with a performance thing, you're either the rat wheel or the treadmill, please get off of that and come up and, and would, let someone pray for you. I would like to add to that. and Please don't think we're starting a second message. <laughs> <laughs> but like... When I, you know, the word condemnation and God condemns certain things, mm -hmm. but his love is like this. Like, let's say you find yourself living in a house that is condemned. Mm -hmm. It's, it once was a beautiful house, but it's like dilapidated, infestation of all sorts, asbestos, whatever word, like black, black mold, whatever, mm -hmm. everything. Yeah. So, but you're still kind of, that's the only shelter you have. The offer of the gospel is condemn this house together with God. And say, he, he comes to you and he says, this is not good. Do you want a new house? Yeah. We need to burn this one down. That's right. <laughs> and, and if you're still clinging to that and say, yeah, but it's still a little good. No, step out mm -mm. and say, let it burn. Yeah, amen. Yeah. And God is going to build a new house on that foundation. That's right. Beautiful new house. Yeah. That's your life. Yeah. Amen. That's how the gospel works. So That's if right. it's you today, you're still, you identify yourself as a Christian, but you're still struggling with condemnation and yep. guilt and yep. a lot of things. You experience the wrath of God. You, mm. sh you, you don't have to. Mm. Step out. Condemn this whole thing. Don't cling yeah. to parts of it. Say, let it burn. Mm. Lord, burn it all. He did it on the cross, and he's going to respond by building a whole new house for you. That's good. That's really good. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more information about our church, visit vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge.